This week, AMC negotiates new £400 million OD and revolving credit facility. Proscar Group and Garrett Motion Cases reveals new proposal, including a $2.8 billion EV upon emergence. Fieldwood files plan and disclosure statement providing for credit bid. And as always, updates from Puerto Rico. Hello and welcome to the Reorg Podcast, where we bring you the latest top developments in high yield, distressed debt, and bankruptcy. I'm Connor Skelton. Later, senior reporter Jim Holloway and legal analyst Kevin Eckhart will run through Chesapeake, Garrett Motion, and CBL. It's Sunday, January 11th. AMC Entertainment is negotiating a new Odeon revolving credit facility with an ad hoc group of lenders to its 2026 term loan to repay its existing $113.6 million Odeon revolver to February 2022 with Lloyds Bank as administrative agent, according to sources. The margin on the new facility is expected to increase to reflect higher lending risk, although the collateral would remain the same, the sources added. The movie theater chain is also in discussions with other potential investors to obtain a new revolver, they added. In order to enter into the new Odeon revolving credit facility, AMC would, according to America's Covenants by Reorg, likely need consent from a majority of convertible note holders. AMC may also need approval from a majority of its lenders, holders of its first lien notes due 2025 and 2026, and holders of its second lien notes, according to America's Covenants by Reorg. Owl Creek, as a member of the Proscar-represented group, which disclosed on December 21st an initial proposal for a recapitalization of the Garrett Motion debtors, filed a 13-D on Wednesday afternoon disclosing that the group of shareholders had submitted an amended proposal to Garrett on Jan 4th, and further updated its amended proposal on Jan 5th. According to the Jan 5th letter, the proposal is supported by the Equity Committee, the Proscar-represented investor group shareholders, and other unaligned shareholders, adding that, quote, the only shareholders who do not support the proposal are part of Centerbridge, Oak Tree, and Honeywell Group. Summarily, the filing describes the group's amended proposal, including all changes through the January 5th further revised bid letter, as providing for the reorganization and recapitalization of the Garrett Motion debtors, funded by the incurrence and issuance, respectively, of $1.3 billion of new debt term financing arranged by the debtors at emergence from bankruptcy to new GMI, quote, with a possible increase up to a maximum amount of $1.5 billion, and up to $630 million of shares of a new class of Series A preferred stock of new GMI, of which $30 million would be payment of a commitment fee to the backstop parties. The amended proposal is based upon a total enterprise value of new GMI at emergence of $2.765 billion. With respect to the Honeywell claims, the proposal continues to provide for common stock or shares of a new class of Series B preferred stock, with an annual dividend rate of 9% or less, or an annual dividend rate as otherwise approved by at least 75% of the investors, to be issued to holders of Honeywell spin-off claims if it is included in the Chapter 11 plan that is ultimately confirmed by the Bankruptcy Court. A Garrett Motion auction was supposed to conclude Tuesday at 5pm, after debtors were given until the end of day to submit their best and final bids, according to sources. The Fieldwood debtors on New Year's Day filed their Chapter 11 plan and disclosure statement, which, while consistent with their pre-petition RSA, now specifies that the debtors have determined, after the unsuccessful pre-petition and post-petition marketing process for their deep water assets, 
to proceed with a credit bid sale of certain of their deep water and shelf assets to a newly formed special purpose bidding entity formed at the direction of the consenting first lien term loan or FLTL lenders. The credit bid purchaser's consideration would consist of first, a $426 million credit bid of the allowed FLTL secured claims, second, $224 million in cash, and third, the assumption of certain liabilities. The plan is supported by the DIP lenders, 77% of FLTL claims, 29% of second lien term loan or SLTL claims, and Apache. The DS notes that the plan, quote, reflects ongoing discussions between the debtors and the official committee of unsecured creditors, the FLFO lenders, and the debtors regulators. The debtor's January 1st reply in support of their exclusivity extension motion says additional time is needed to continue working with the UCC and other key stakeholders to build additional support for the plan. On Wednesday, President Donald Trump filled the remaining appointments of the seven-member Promisa Oversight Board, reappointing Oversight Board Chairman David Skeel and former bankruptcy judge Arthur Gonzalez to new three-year terms. Skeel noted the importance of having a, quote, complete oversight board again as it negotiates, quote, sustainable debt restructuring agreements for the Commonwealth of Puerto Rico and for PREPA and continues our work to create a foundation for sustainable economic growth in Puerto Rico, even in the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. After being sworn into office on Saturday, January 2nd, Governor Pedro Pierluisi enacted a series of executive orders, including Executive Order 2021-003, which declares a fiscal emergency across the Commonwealth government and establishes a series of cost controls and fiscal policies. In announcing the measure, Pierre-Lucy said that the government's fiscal situation continues to be critical and requires immediate attention to control spending and invest in necessary areas with an eye towards fostering economic development. Resident Commissioner Jennifer Gonzalez announced at that the Federal Emergency Management Agency has reached a $3.7 billion settlement with the Puerto Rico Aqueduct and Sewer Authority for post-hurricane permanent works. The process settlement comes after FEMA reached a nearly $13 billion settlement in September for post-hurricane permanent works at the Puerto Rico Electric Power Authority and Commonwealth Education Department, which officials have said is the largest in FEMA history. Last month, FEMA officials said a total of $13.4 billion in recovery funds have been obligated for Puerto Rico. Top red stories last week included Judge Jones calls out fantasy land assumptions on both sides of Chesapeake and UCC valuations on day 11 of confirmation hearing. New coverage, Ashford Hospitality Trust receives up to $350 million loan commitment from Oak Tree as almost $1 billion of mortgage loans remain in default. And... Belk Second Lien Lenders, GSO, KKR, sign NDAs to discuss potential balance sheet transaction. Next, here's Jim from Houston with the week ahead. Well, good morning, folks, and welcome to 2021. We'd all like to go for a cruise, wouldn't we? I always wanted to go up the Rhine River or down the Volga or the Don. Well, Carnival Cruises will be providing a fourth quarter update at 10 a.m. on Monday, January 11th. There is also an exclusivity extension hearing in Valaris and a pre-trial conference in the matter of Fieldwood Energy. Tuesday, January 12th, happens four times a year. I mean, earnings season, of course, and it begins with Albertsons, the drug and grocery chain, which will release its results before the open, followed by a call at 8.30 a.m. There's also a stay relief hearing in Chesapeake and a continued confirmation hearing in Speedcast. 
Wednesday, January 13th, hearings in Hertz and Highland Capital. Thursday, January 14th, there's an expense reimbursement hearing in Garrett Motion and a trial in CBL. Friday, January 15th, there's an omnibus in Fieldwood, sale hearing in NPC, and a hearing in the matter of town sports versus the state of New York. That's all from me, and back to you. And next up, here's Jim again with Kevin Eckhart with a review of the states of play in Chesapeake, Garrett Motion, and CBL. Well, Happy New Year, Kevin, and welcome back. And so today, what we're going to be doing is going over a few cases to see what folks may have missed over the holidays. And it sounds like we didn't get much of a breakdown in Houston, now does it? Well, Jim, that's right. Uh, Judge Jones started the contested Chesapeake confirmation hearing on December 15th, and it's still going 11 days and counting of thrilling testimony on valuation, which is at the heart of the dispute. The UCC, the debtor's principal adversary, objected to the debtor's proposed plan on numerous grounds, including valuation and unfair discrimination. The debtors value the company at about $4.2 billion versus $5.7 billion in pre-petition secured debt, leaving nothing for the general unsecured creditors represented by the UCC. Under the plan, uh, GUCs, general unsecured creditors, and note holders would share a small equity piece, which the debtors characterize as a gift to buy confirmation. The UCC, however, is pushing a value of about $6.9 billion, leaving plenty to pay about $1.1 billion in general unsecured claims and making a $600 million rights offering at a 35% discount look like a screaming deal. The UCC has also challenged secured creditors' liens and sought to bring avoidance and fiduciary duty claims against lenders and management, respectively. Those claims, of course, would be released under the plan. Much of the dispute turns on the viability and thus value of some non-producing assets, which the debtors uh, unsurprisingly value little and the UCC a whole lot. There's also the matter of the value of that litigation and disputes over the proper strip pricing and discount rate. Of course, the volatility of the oil and gas sector is also a key issue, which you know a whole lot more about than me. That makes any valuation a moving target as the hearing drags on, with the Saudis cutting production, a new administration, a vaccine, a new stimulus. Uh, Judge Jones has a real dilemma here, but he's letting the experts play it out in real time, even though on January 6th, that was day 11, he called both parties valuationists. Well, you know, I was like uh, up in Lake Caddo over the Christmas season. I did indeed miss a lot of that. Very interesting. What else is keeping the judges in Houston busy? Well, there's a big mess in front of Judge Isger, the other judge in Houston, in the Speedcast International case. Uh, there you have an interesting fight between Centerbridge, which holds 40% of the pre-petition term loan, and Black Diamond, which holds 60%. Black Diamond would like to parlay its majority position into control over the reorganized company via a credit bid that would include Centerbridge's debt and leave Centerbridge with an unprotected minority interest in the reorganized debtors. To avoid that, Centerbridge has offered a $500 million equity investment in exchange for a 100% interest in a new holding company for the debtors, with the secured loans being crammed up and getting only $150 million in cash on more than $600 million in claims. Uh, Black Diamond argues that Centerbridge is really buying the company, and before a plan can be confirmed for a sale and cram-up, they must have the chance to credit bid the entire pre-petition loan. Um, according to Black Diamond, the bidding procedures had a bunch of provisions that were designed to prevent them from making such a credit bid, including an interesting requirement that Black Diamond cash out Centerbridge's 40% position. 
The confirmation hearing started on December 17th with the parties at each other th- each other's throats. Among other things, Black Diamond has accused management of bias in favor of Centerbridge. At the end of day five, Judge Isger tried an interesting gambit. He challenged Black Diamond to make an actionable, non-contingent offer for the company in a proposed plan that would not require resolicitation. Judge said he wants to see if Black Diamond is, quote, playing games. Black Diamond came back and said they would make an offer within two weeks, but they'd need more diligence and a financing contingency. Uh, The debtors in Centerbridge pushed for a January 11th offer deadline and suggested that Black Diamond needs to offer a takeout of Centerbridge's dip, which actually originally took out Black Diamond's dip. On Thursday night, Judge Isger held another status conference at which the mood seemed pretty glum. Uh, He told the parties he would recommence the confirmation hearing for day six on Tuesday, unless Black Diamond comes back with a pretty solid indication that they're ready to bid quick. Well, that's some mighty interesting scraps in Houston. Um, But what is going on in the Garrett motion sales process? That's another thing that seems to have a lot of attention from users. Well, Jim, there's a lot we can see and a little bit we can. Uh, The auction was originally set on December 18th with KPS Capital and a group comprised of former parent Honeywell, Centerbridge, Oak Tree, and a majority shareholder group represented by Jones Day looking to be the key competitors. Weeks later, the auction is still going on, and another party entered the picture. Uh, On December 21st, an ad hoc equity group represented by Proskauer, and including Warlander, Owl Creek, Jeffries, Barden Hill, Marathon, and Cetus, made a public offer with a $735 million preferred A rights offering, $140 million of which would be reserved for the investor group, and $565 million of preferred B for Honeywell which has asserted about $2 billion in asbestos indemnification and tax claims that the debtors seek to avoid. According to our sources, that offer, the Proskauer offer, topped the original $2.6 billion KPS bid, but KPS made a topping counteroffer, which we have not seen. The original KPS offer did not provide for a settlement with Honeywell, which could lead to lengthy litigation and uncertain recoveries for equity. The Centerbridge Oak Tree Honeywell Jones Day Group announced an improved offer on December 23rd, which adds a cash-out option for existing equity, apparently in response to the Proskauer Group offer and Judge Wiles' concerns over favored treatment for the Jones Day shareholder group. Then on January 6th, the Proskauer Group filed an amended proposal, reducing the Series A rights offering to $630 million, still $140 million for the investors, um, that proposal values the debtors at $2.7 billion, about $100 million more than KPS' original $2.6 billion bid. The whole thing was supposed to end on January 5th, but as we speak today on Friday afternoon, we haven't seen any conclusion. We expect the debtors to file a plan perhaps uh, later on Friday after press time because that's the KPS RSA deadline. So we'll see if they uh, do anything today or if this drags into next week. Okay, well, thank you. And then how about the CBL case? Seems to have been pretty quiet with that one. Yeah, well, it it was, but uh, no longer. On December December 30th, the debtors filed a plan that will ruffle some feathers among their term lenders. Uh, Recall the term lenders before the case was filed tried to take over 22 properties, uh, asserting a default and sending notices to tenants that they should stop paying rent to the debtors and start paying them to Wells Fargo, the agent. Uh, The debtors reacted by filing and suing 
and accusing agent uh, Wells Fargo of shocking and unprecedented behavior. On December 30th, uh, the debtors filed a plan that treats the banks pretty roughly. They would get a $950 million seven-year secured exit facility at an unspecified interest rate um, that would be set by the court as low as required to secure confirmation and no higher than LIBOR plus three. Uh, those notes notably also, uh, or that facility notably also would not include any financial covenants. The debtors published the bank's offer uh, in an 8K, uh, wherein the banks proposed a three-year, $850 million exit facility that would have financial covenants, uh, would also provide liens on 16 additional properties, and would get the lenders $141 million in cash. Uh, so you compare that to what the debtors have offered, and you can see why the banks might be upset. The plan also gives a crossholder group that is on board with the debtors' plan preferred stock on their secured claims in addition to a share of 90% of common stock and $500 million in new notes as note holders. Now, arguably, that's better treatment than the banks are receiving, so you can see why they might be further upset. The proposed treatment for the banks has a whole lot of if the court so requires. You know, the interest rate is the minimum required for confirmation. Treatment for deficiency claims is the minimum re amount required for confirmation. And that's always a good sign the trouble is brewing in the case. Uh, the banks aren't going to like it, and they aren't going to like the crossholders getting preferred stock plus cash on similar claims. The parties have agreed to mediate this one um, over the next few weeks. A disclosure statement hearing is set for February 5th, and a trial on the Wells Fargo claims is set to start. Well, very interesting, Kevin. Thank you very much for coming on, and thank you listeners for tuning in, and back to y'all in New York. Thanks to Jim and Kevin there, and thank you for listening to another Reorg Weekly Review. As always, find all of our podcasts on the reorg.com site media page, iTunes, and SoundCloud. And this is new. You can now listen to us on Spotify as well. As always, we hope you and your families are healthy and safe and that you've had a good start to 2021. Thanks a lot.